This question confronts a great many new and or inexperienced four-wheel drive owners. When is it okay to reach down and actually engage four-wheel drive? Even more importantly, if you want to sidestep a massive repair bill, when is it not okay? I'm John Cadogan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Plenty of four-wheel drives in that mix too. Like, dude, there's no shortage of choice, is there? Especially utes and ute-derived wagons and land cruisers and patrols. I mean, website. Card. Now, perhaps you own a four-wheel drive, you've owned it for years, it's been mum's taxi or something, and you're finally going to let it off the chain and do a shakedown run for that trip to Dingo Piss Creek about which you've always fantasised. Or perhaps you just picked one up last week or something and you're a bit confused about the little knob down there that you don't know if you should touch or not. When should you reach down and engage four-wheel drive and when should you not? Because there's a couple of big red flags on the not in particular. And if you engage four-wheel drive when you're really not supposed to, you can break something very expensive and that'll be a great day for the dealer and a really bad day for you. This report is sponsored by NordVPN. I'm no IT expert, but I've seen enough, especially lately, about data breaches, scams and hacks to know that being online is inherently risky and potentially very costly. You don't have to be tech savvy to use NordVPN. It's a simple one-stop cyber security solution. One click and you are protected from hackers, malware and pop-ups across as many as six devices. Go to nordvpn.com AEJC now and you'll get three to 12 months extra time on any two-year subscription as part of Nord's 11th birthday celebration plus one more bonus month just for using the nordvpn.com slash AEJC link in the description. NordVPN is the world's fastest VPN and it only costs about as much as a cup of coffee every month to keep your data, your identity and your devices secure. NordVPN can also save you money because you can assign your virtual location to another country where, for example, flights and accommodation might be cheaper than they are back home. Same goes for streaming services. You can also access live sporting events and other content that may not be available where you actually live. That's a pretty small price to pay for cyber security, not to mention the potential savings also on the table. Go to nordvpn.com slash AEJC now to get a huge discount off your plan plus a free 11th birthday gift and all that additional free subscription time. Totally risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash AEJC. Link in the description. And thanks to Nord for sponsoring this episode. A dude just like you only named... Peter Calegros has done us all a favour today by articulating this question by email to me yesterday. So, Peter Calegros, how should we ossify that? Well, Mr. Calegros, henceforth I dub the Lego. Lego goes. 
or follow you on YouTube, rarely missing an episode. Well, Lego, I'm sorry to hear that your life has come to that. Nobody deserves it. Get help. Apart from your great sense of humour, you make a lot of sense and your engineering proficiency is more than evident. Trowel it on, Lego. I mean, I've already agreed to answer your question, mate. Come on. I am new to four-wheel drive, but I am not bearded, wear a blue singlet, planning a trip to Dingo Piss Creek, or wish to modify my new four-wheel drive in any way. Lego, there's plenty of time, dude. You can still develop all those things. It's contagious. You can catch it at any time. Oh, I love driving to the country, and often this involves dirt roads. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not planning rock climbing, etc. with me vehicle, since it's not a mountain goat. So that means you are planning rock climbing, etc. with a mountain goat, does it, Lego? What is this cetera <laughs> exactly that you are planning with that mountain goat? Do tell. My question to you revolves around when to engage four-wheel drive. I know about bitumen and transmission wind-up. However, some dirt roads are as hard and as non-slip as bitumen. Yeah, they are. Is it safe to engage four-wheel drive on all dirt roads or only the more loose surfaces? How do I assess which dirt surfaces I can safely drive without risking transmission damage? Well, that is the question, isn't it? When to and when to... <laughs> on the pool. When to not? Some bearded ones suggest it's okay on any dirt road. One friend suggested to engage four-wheel drive if driving on the dirt road raises dust. Comma, question mark, dog's dick, question mark. What does that mean? Thank you in advance for your advice, Lego. Okay, Lego. This is a bit of a thorny one, isn't it? Now... Let's just think about why four-wheel drive was invented. Four-wheel drive was invented because sometimes two-wheel drive does not give you sufficient traction. So, the obvious answer to this question is to engage four-wheel drive at those times when you are negotiating terrain in which two-wheel drive would not give you sufficient tractive effort to proceed. I mean, that's the really conservative, sensible answer to this question. So that would mean most dirt roads don't apply four-wheel drive, don't engage it for most dirt road driving, particularly good dirt road driving, because you just don't need it. Now, I've got to just have a little bit of a talk about four-wheel drive systems, so there's no ambiguity here. There are vehicles like Subaru Foresters and some Sportages and Tucsons and CX-5s, which are AWD, like all-wheel drive. Not talking about those, because they use a markedly different system. See, if you drive a Hilux or a D-Max or a BT-50 or a Patrol or something of that nature. They have a kind of agricultural four-wheel drive system where it's two-wheel drive high, four-wheel drive high, four-wheel drive low, okay? And what happens there is in the transfer case, which is you've got the crankshaft connected to the gearbox, and then you've got a transfer case. And the purpose of the transfer case is to take the drive out of the gearbox 
and have a shaft going forwards to the front axle and rearwards to the rear axle. And when you engage four-wheel drive in those vehicles, it locks the front and rear prop shafts together. It synchronises them and they must turn at the same rate. And if you are on a high traction surface like bitumen or good dirt, this is a really bad idea because the front end of the car and the rear end of the car go through different arcs when they go around a corner and that means they travel different distances and that means the shafts want to turn at different rates. But they can't because they're locked together and that causes a great many internal stresses inside the transfer case this is called transmission wind up you can experience it for yourself just engage four-wheel drive and try and do a u-turn on bitumen you won't break something off the bat just do it gently and you'll see what i mean there'll be a whole lot of complaining from the drive line and it'll be basically the drive line saying dude don't do this to me it's bad okay so you'll feel it and then you'll understand what wind-up is and why you need to avoid it. And the bottom line is that any time there's a high-traction environment, you run the risk of damaging the transmission by engaging four-wheel drive too early. So the question is, what dirt roads do you apply four-wheel drive on? And I'd suggest that four-wheel drive is only for the really slippery bits. So if you're driving along on a good dirt road and you come across a big muddy bit or a big patch of bull dust or a sandy section or something of that nature then shift on the fly to four-wheel drive because you might need the extra traction in that situation but on a good dirt road just drive in two-wheel drive now if if you're a motoring journalist and you don't give a shit about the transmission durability of the vehicle you can engage four-wheel drive on some pretty good dirt roads and what you will notice is that the vehicle is a little bit more composed because the drive is split front and rear but the problem with doing that in your own car is that you increase the wear rate on the gears in the transfer case right and you probably don't want to do that so just drive more conservatively on good dirt roads because you're not ever going to get selected for the Subaru Works rally team so just don't do that and this opens the door to what about all-wheel drive if you've got that Sportage that CX-5 that Tucson whatever and it's got an all-wheel drive system it'll have a computer or a clutch sensing type mechanism that apportions the drive front and rear and what you'll notice is that on a low traction surface like uh, a poor dirt road slippery dirt road something of that nature there'll be a bit of drive shunting going on and of course these all-wheel drive systems were really pioneered by the likes of Subaru and Audi and their function was to integrate them into their rally competition programs because those all-wheel drive systems really do have positive benefits for performance driving on dirt roads which is not what you should be doing in your four-wheel drive you should be driving conservatively on a dirt road and engaging four-wheel drive when the conditions deteriorate and just for complete disambiguation or to answer this question fully about all of this sort of stuff there's also in four-wheel drives generally another little setting down there for low range and we should talk about how that works as well if you're a virgin on this kind of thing the thing about low range is it's actually two things it's a lower gearing ratio and what this means rule of thumb okay is that 
first gear in high range, which you'd be used to using, or your car takes off that way if it's an automatic or you select it manually in a manual, you know what that feels like. Well, that's approximately equivalent to third gear in low range. And that means the first thing that you get with low range is you get another two lower gears, all right? And that means you can travel slower in iffy terrain, which is really good, without stalling the engine. So in other words, you can travel at a speed on rough terrain, like over rocks and things where there's a risk of damage and you want to creep over, you can travel slower in that situation without stalling the engine. And you get a lot more torque as well at the wheels, because the function of gearing is to juggle the rotational speed and the torque. You've got torque, speed, and power are the three variables. Power, which comes out of the engine, is multiplied by all of the gearing to give you rotational speed and torque, like tractive effort kind of torque. And the lower the gearing, the more tractive effort you got. So in low range second, for example, you can travel up a really steep hill with low throttle inputs at low speed, which reduces all kinds of potential for vehicle damage. And it's actually quite a gentle, pleasant experience. Whereas if you only had high range, you probably wouldn't have enough gearing reduction to give you the drive to cope with the angle, particularly on the steeper rock shelfy type sections that you might encounter. And you might have to take a run up at it to maintain an appropriate speed to keep traveling without stalling the engine all of which leads you to massive opening the door to damage kinds of propositions the other thing is when you're going downhill down a steep high traction hill like down a rock shelf or something and it's pretty iffy you can select low range and first gear take your foot off everything and the multiplication of torque gives you a great deal of engine braking like reverse tractive effort so the vehicle will just walk down a hill slowly in low range first in the way that it simply would not in high range first i hope that makes sense and this video is not meant to be a substitute for proper four-wheel drive training which you should get before you do that stuff because it's really good to sit with someone who's got some experience and get some actual hands-on appreciation for what is a good idea and what is a bad idea because when you get into that environment plenty of things won't make sense and you'll need some guidance about what's a good idea and what's definitely not. So I think for completeness the final thing we really need to talk about is diff locks because some vehicles come with diff locks as well and they'll be cross axle diff locks and what you do then is you open the door to even more traction wind up now see if you've got a basic four-wheel drive with no diff locks what the thing about a cross axle differential is you can have one wheel spinning and the other wheel stationary and the vehicle will just be stopped. And typically what happens with a four-wheel drive in soft conditions like sand or mud or something like that is you start bogging down, you get slower and slower and slower, and then you get to a point where the vehicle stops, but the wheels are still spinning. And those wheels will typically be diagonally opposite wheels spinning, and the other diagonally opposite wheels will just be stopped. And this is because each of those cross-axle differentials allows one of those wheels to spin while the other one stops and the transfer case is locked in the middle so the front and the rear drive shafts are pumping drive 
front and rear. And what you can do then is you can lock a diff. Like if you've got a rear axle diff lock, if you think that's a possibility because the sand's getting really soft or the mud's getting really thick, then you can reach down and lock the rear diff. And that means that the car cannot get bogged unless both rear axles, both rear wheels spin because the lock on the rear axle will stop that proposition where you get one wheel stopped and the other one just spinning with an open differential. It'll lock that diff and it'll effectively give you, for whatever it is, 30%, 25%, whatever percent more tractive effort as a consequence of doing that. You can have front axle diff locks as well. And the really interesting thing about driving a four-wheel drive with the front diff locked and the rear diff locked and the transfer case locked is that you don't have very much steering. You've got lots of traction, but you don't have a great deal of steering. So you need to be mindful of all of that stuff. And every time you lock one more component, you open the door to winding more and more stuff up when traction is resumed. So the best idea is to engage these things only when needed, and then make sure, this is really important, as well just make sure that you disengage them when you no longer need them and you know normal driving gets resumed i suppose another pro tip i can give you is that if you are in low range you don't have to send a manual you don't have to cycle through the gears in the way that you would in high range you don't have to start in first if you're just taking off on the flat like let's say you just climbed a really, really steep hill and you're about to go over 20, 30, 40 metres, whatever, of reasonably flat, easy going, and then go down the other side, then for the if you stop at the top and then to get going again, you really only need to select like low range third and you can just drive off, which will feel just like taking off in first gear in high. I hope that makes sense. And then when you get to the downhill bit again, you can just stop and select first gear and then just nudge over the edge, maybe get out and have a look. It's always a nice idea to have a look before you commit to something. And then when you get in that position, you just get over the edge and nudge over the edge. You take your feet off everything and you let engine braking and torque reduction do the work. And it's actually quite relaxing and fun. You know, I'm not sure that I... I'm not sure that I just admitted that four-wheel driving can be fun, but it can. It can be really technically challenging to figure out where exactly the four corners of the car are, and you can get a great deal of satisfaction about doing it. To me, it's kind of like driving on a racetrack or anything else. Doing something proficiently is extremely rewarding. The problem is, I think, that uh, plenty of newbies just go out and poke the nose of their four-wheel drive at something and hope for the best. And this other business about... Yeah, what did uh, Lego say about one friend suggested to engage four-wheel drive if driving on the road raises dust on a dirt... Like, show me the dirt road where you don't have a rooster tail of dust behind you. Like, come on, that's just bad advice. The bottom line is, if there's no problem driving down a piece of dirt road in two-wheel drive high, do not engage four-wheel drive because if you do, you will just be stressing your transmission when it needs not be stressed. And if you're driving down a dirt road and the vehicle seems a little unsettled because it's a bit slippery underfoot or whatever, the best thing to do perhaps is wipe off 10 or 20 k's an hour so that the vehicle is reasonably stable. 
and you will make it somewhat stable by engaging four-wheel drive in that situation, but you'll also increase the wear and tear on the transmission. And I guess, ultimately, when you get a bit experienced at this stuff, the determination of which one of those options you want to take is down to you. But initially, don't do that. Just drive conservatively on good dirt roads in two-wheel drive high, and then when you see patches of fairly shitty terrain ahead, like Cockover Road ahead, then engage four-wheel drive for the bulldust, the sand, the mud, the creek crossings, and then low range for really driveline intensive work like uh, really soft sand and really steep ascents and creek crossings with rocks in the bottom where you've really got to feel your way and you can't really see the terrain underneath even though you should always walk them first except in crocodile territory I might add so I hope that helps but don't just take my advice for this as a substitute for proper four-wheel drive training if you want to do this stuff and come back with your vehicle intact you got to use it properly, but you really need to get some training and the benefit of some hands-on expert advice.